0: Started. So, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to join us for the second MOA webinar of 2017, We Are In This Together, Techniques for Navigating Workplace Environments. Before we get started, we have a few housekeeping items uh, that I'd like to make you aware of. One, if you haven't already done so, make sure you register for the MOA Symposium before May 17th, which is the early bird deadline. We want to make sure you take advantage of the discounted pricing. Two. Just a reminder, if you haven't logged into the MOA community, I encourage you to do so. The community is the primary location for many helpful resources. To access the community, simply visit moa.nacda.com. That's M-O-A-A dot dot com. Lastly, if you have any questions regarding symposium registration or your MOA membership in general, please don't hesitate, hesitate to contact either Nathan Anderson or Julie Work in the National Office at 440-892-4000. And now for today's webinar. If you have any questions throughout the course of the live webinar, feel free to use the chat feature on the bottom right uh, of your screen. Please note there will be a brief question and answer session at the conclusion of today's webinar, and the majority of questions will be addressed during that time. And now, today we are extremely lucky to have Dr. Tanya Tinsley. She is a licensed professional counselor in private practice, an associate professor and the director of Graduate Programs in Counseling at Waynesburg University. As a clinician and practitioner, she has over 20 years of working in the mental health and the secondary and college university academic, athletic and sporting environments. Her experiences include working with culturally diverse educators, students, athletes and clients in and from a variety of athletic organizations and conferences, including the NFL the Big Ten, the Big East, the MEAC, the PSAC, and the NAIA. Dr. Tinsley, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Miriam, for having me here. I'm excited about this webinar and the topic of this webinar. So if uh, you are okay, I am willing and open to getting started. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the MOA. Webinar. Uh, The topic for our webinar is We Are All In This Together, Techniques for Navigating Workplace Environments. I thank those individuals who may be on the line who sent me information via email or LinkedIn uh, regarding specific issues you were hoping that I would address today. Um, So uh, throughout this webinar I will touch upon some of those uh, topics and as Miriam said, we will have a question and answer. So my goals for today are to increase knowledge of key terms and concepts necessary for understanding culturally diverse um, workplace environments, to increase knowledge of skills, techniques, and interventions for navigating workplace environments, and to engage in dialogue and conversation regarding participants' experiences with navigating culturally diverse workplace environments. I really like uh, in the NCAA inclusion uh, document, a statement that Dr. Bernard Franklin, who is the chief inclusion officer and then executive vice president, Uh, where he wrote, as we seek to establish, maintain, and enhance intercollegiate athletic departments that foster equitable participation experiences for student athletes and provide access to career opportunities supportive of the retention and advancement of coaches and administrators from diverse backgrounds, we must stand together. We are designed to be in relationships and so when we talk about navigating workplace environments it is really important that we stand together and we work together. As we move forward with this webinar there's a couple things I want you to take a moment to think about. I want you to just reflect maybe drop down a couple words or a sentence. Why are you serving as an athletic administrator? What are your goals as an athletic administrator? What are your goals in your career as a whole? So I just want to give you a quick moment to think about why are you serving as an athletic administrator? What are your goals? Because this will set the stage for how you hear and receive the information that I bring forth today. So I'll just give you a couple seconds to think about why you are in your role that you are in. I want you to keep this in mind as we move forward that this is your kind of guiding philosophy, your personal and your professional philosophy for why you do what you do. So let me just give you some key terms that I wanted to kind of focus on today. First, we all know that sports is a microcosm of society. Every conceivable activity that occurs in the society occurs on the sports field, the pool, the track, and any aspect of sports. Sport permeates all of our society and is an inherent component of national and campus identities. Sports incorporates the values, the biases, the beliefs that are in our society. So who we are as sports people, as athletes, as administrators, does not stop at the door when we go into the sporting environment. We are bringing who we are in society into the sporting environment. And as it says also in the NCAA Inclusion's Best Practices in 2014, intercollegiate athletics serve as a catalyst for social change on these fronts, have become highly visible role models for diversity and inclusion on their campus communities and among their colleagues around the nation. Sports holds promise for leading the way in the ongoing struggle to fully immerse diversity and inclusion into every aspect of society. So when we think about um, diversity, I want to think about the iceberg concept. Uh, As we know with icebergs, there's two parts. That's the parts that are above the surface and there are the parts that are below the surface. Above the surface is what we can see. Below the the surface is what we cannot see. It is that unconscious that that may drive uh, someone's behavior. When we apply this iceberg model to diversity, diversity means all the ways we differ. It includes the readily visible differences and the underlying differences that may be below the surface. And I want to mention that when we talk about diversity, we all hold multiple identities. So any of these aspects of what we see or what is below the surface can be inherent in who we are as individuals. When we apply the iceberg model to culture, uh, we can talk about above the surface which we are aware of. And below the surface are those norms, those values, those beliefs, those assumptions, those biases, those judgments, those expectations. What is below the surface is out of conscious, uh, it is what uh, people lack the awareness and can drive that conscious awareness, that can drive what we can see. So if we think about the iceberg, I think about uh, Alaska, and if there is an earthquake below the surface, we may not see what's happening below the surface, but we can see the tip of the iceberg shifting. And so when it comes to us as human beings, when there is something below our surface um, that might shift, where there's a quake, that then drives our conscious, Uh, awareness that drives our behavior and sometimes people don't even know that their behavior is being driven by something below the surface something that is been how they've been socialized in their early uh, part of their life and what's interesting is what's below the surface which is unconscious can drive this uh, discrimination this bias this whole concept of what I'm going to talk about in a few minutes microaggressions and it can be unintentional. So the goal of what we have to do is help bring some of that unconscious below the surface to individual's awareness, as well as our own awareness. We also have what's called the Johari's window to relationships. All of us as individuals have four parts to who we are. Um, And when we are interacting with other people, we are interacting with these four aspects of each other. So there's the open self, this is the information about yourself that you and others know. So you all can look at me and see that I'm a female, I am black, African American. Um, and so that part, we, we are interacting with each other, that's kind of that basic surface information that we will share with each other. We also have the blind self. This is information you don't know but others may see uh, a, a see of you. Um, This is things that might come from below the surface, that unconscious area that drives the behavior. And if I am not aware of that, other people may see that and may then react to me and respond to me based on something that's my blind self. There's also hidden self. There are things that I know about myself that other people do not know. So there are things about my socialization, things about experiences that I may have that might drive my behavior. And then there's also the unknown self, information about yourself that neither you or others know. The goal in relationships is to expand that box of open self. So expanding that box of open self requires one, risk-taking, to share information about my experiences, about how I might have been socialized, about my values and beliefs. But it's also uh, trying to expand that open self is receiving information and receiving feedback. So it's receiving someone to say, you know, I just noticed this behavior or this response from you. Were you aware of that? So, you know, the research has said 60 to 80% of our communication is nonverbal. And how much of our nonverbal comes from that blind self or that hidden self? And so, in order to have healthy, effective relationships, we need to be able to receive information and to be able to give information. Uh, An example that I can use, uh, in 2002, I suffered a loss of a sibling, and I was really going through the grieving process, but I was teaching at Duquesne University, and not aware that when I was talking about this sudden and traumatic loss of my brother, that I was smiling, and um, I wasn't aware of that. And somebody, one of the students in the class, had to take a risk to say, Hey, Tommy, do you know that when you talk about something that's so hurtful and so traumatic for you, you laugh, I wasn't aware of that, and I received that information, and so that just goes to show that all of us have defense mechanisms to to, um, hold on to the uh, pain and not deal with the pain or those hurtful aspects of ourselves. So when we are interacting in the workplace in the athletic environment, we have to be aware that we all have these four windows to ourselves as well as the people that we're interacting with have these four aspects of the window. So I just mentioned a few minutes ago about microaggression. When we apply it specifically for racial microaggressions, Sue et al. defines racial microaggressions as brief and commonplace daily verbal behavioral and environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, negative racial slights and insults to the target person or group. The piece that's really important is that it's the unintentional microaggressions that are the most hurtful and the most damaging. There's been both quantitative and qualitative research that has found that any type of uh, microaggression, whether it's race, sexual orientation, religion, gender, it has an impact on mental health as well as physical health. Studies have found that uh, especially with racial microaggressions, individuals that experience these uh, microaggressions have higher levels of depression, higher levels of Uh, PTSD, higher levels of anxiety, they also have higher levels of stress, uh, lack of the ability to get a good night's rest and sleep, uh, high blood pressure and hypertension. And within the racial microaggression categories, there's three types. There are micro assaults that are more overt forms of discrimination and can manifest in verbal or nonverbal attacks as well as avoided behaviors. Micro assaults could be um, from people who are aware and conscious of discrimination, but they unintentionally hurt people with the experience of uh, what they say or their behaviors or their responses. So again, when we go back to that unconscious, uh, below the surface, and that Johari's window, that blind spot, or um, that hidden self, a person may unintentionally um, make statements or say words that are hurtful and damaging but not realizing that they are doing that even though they are conscious of discrimination. Micro-insults, on the other hand, are rude and sensitive behaviors or statements that degrade a person's racial heritage or identity. So for example, if you tell an Asian person they speak good English or if uh, you go into a store and you're being followed around because of your race. And so these are some rude and insensitive behaviors. And again, it doesn't even have to be it to be that nonverbal behavior. And so that nonverbal and that unintentional is the most damaging and harmful. Mm-hmm. And then we also have micro-invalidation. This occurs when a person negates or denies the thoughts, feelings, or experiences of a person of color. I don't know about you, but I've had people say to me, you know, when I see you, Tanya, I don't see your race. Well, that's a micro-invalidation because that's denying an important aspect of who I am culturally. Or when somebody says racism doesn't exist. And these micro-invalidations uh, communicate exclusion, they negate, and they nullify psychological thoughts, feelings, and the uh, experience reality of the person. The next co- key concept is social justice. And this involves promoting access and equity to ensure full participation of all people in the life of society. So when I asked you at the beginning of the webinar to really jot down why are you an athletic administrator? Why are you working in athletics? I know for me it is really important to work with students of color and work with athletes um, to pave the way for their success, for their development uh, as a whole person. And so I know in my role I may need to engage in that social justice advocacy. And so when we talk about social justice, we are really working uh, for people who may have been systematically excluded on the basis of race or ethnicity, sex, disability, age, class, uh, gender expression, etc. Social justice is based on the belief that all people have the right for equitable treatment, even we as administrators, faculty, uh, professionals, as well as those that we work with and the student athletes. We, we, it is based on uh, human rights and fair allocation. Social justice focuses on issues of oppression, privilege, and social inequalities. And I'd like to be able to say that as an athletic administrator, Social justice entails professional conduct that upholds all forms of discrimination and oppression. And as an athletic administrator, it is important that we take action to promote access and equity. Social justice uh, advocates are athletic administrators who can perceive accurately the environment influences on the athletic department development that includes the development of its staff, administrators, coaches, and student-athletes. So it's really important to understand the cultural context of the institution, of the department, of the community in which the the university or college is located. It is at this level that forms the basis of social action. And problematic behaviors as it relates to racism, or any other types of isms can be traced back to the negative environmental effects that affect our cognitive, affective, and behavioral function. And administrators, coaches, staff, athletes, student athlete issues are often merely reactions to or symptoms of deep-seated problems in the social environment. So remember I said earlier, sports is a microcosm of support. Society. And so, what we experience in sport is uh, just the symptoms of what's happening in our social environment. Systemic awareness and social action encompasses the professional and moral responsibility that athletic administrators and coaches have to address. So, we'll go back again. Why are you an athletic administrator? Why are you in this career field? Because it's really important to be aware of the systemic. Um, Issues that are impacting our student athletes, our athletic departments, our administrators, and coaches. So, when we talk about serving as an advocate, it's important to empower uh, individuals and groups. And this is the process by which people, organizations, and groups who are powerless or marginalized become aware, knowledgeable, and skilled. So, the research has shown when it comes to change, most people want to jump in and fix people. They want to uh, focus on the skills, the techniques, but skills and techniques is predicated on awareness and it's predicated on knowledge. So when we are empowering individuals and we are empowering ourselves, we have to make sure that we increase that self-awareness. Empowerment encompasses self Reflection and action, awareness of environmental power dynamics that may influence psychosocial development and development skills to enhance communities. And advocates view helping from a systematic perspective. They attempt systemic change in partnerships, so we're not on an island alone, in partnerships with individuals who lack the awareness, who lack the knowledge or skill base, and have an understanding of system changes. So now I'd like to talk about Dr. T's top 10 techniques for navigating workplace
0: environments.
1: And my top 10 techniques are couched in Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So the first habit of highly effective people is being proactive. And being proactive means responding through social justice advocacy. This means being skilled and being able to interrupt oppressive behavior. And so we have to think about what kind of behavior are we displaying that works against social justice or works towards social justice. And so when we talk about working against social justice, we're actively joining in the behavior or there's no response. And when we see um, microaggressions happening, when we see injustice not responding because it may impact us individually as as well. Um, That is working against social justice. And so when we talk about working towards social justice, the first step is educating oneself. So when we talk about advocacy, advocacy can first happen on the intrapersonal level where we can understand our own values and beliefs, we have to educate ourselves on what's happening below that surface, on that unconscious level, but we also can explore Uh, uh, other people's experiences with microaggressions and with discrimination. So before we can interrupt the behavior, we have to educate ourselves. Once we interrupt the behavior, then we also educate other people, Um, we support others in their proactive responses, and we initiate proactive responses. So when we talk about advocacy, it happens on the intrapersonal level uh, within ourselves first. It happens interpersonally with other people, family, friends, co-workers, the community. It can happen at the institutional level um, that we talk about the workplace climate, the community environment, the institutional. And then the community uh, level, we're talking about norms, values, and society. So it's really important to understand these different levels of advocacy because you may be more comfortable in one area or another. Or before you can engage in institutional systemic community change, you may have to first start with yourself. And then finally, there's advocacy on the public policy level. And this focuses on the policies, the rules, the laws that impact the administrators, coaches, staff, and student athletes. Habitude, begin with the end in mind. Know thyself. Uh, self-awareness is, an, is important. Uh, for identifying one's cultural values, beliefs, biases, and hot buttons. Uh, Being aware of the extent to which shared and unshared identities, privileged and marginalized statuses, biases, and hot buttons influence relationships. So I have to really understand myself and understand that what's happening in the environment, how can that impact me? Um, Rita Allen states, stay true to yourself. Understanding your own values, needs, and goals requires constant reevaluation and follow up, including continuous assessment of alignment with organizational culture and personal decision making. When we talk about knowing yourself, it's really coming from a principle centered perspective, as uh, Stephen Covey states. And those principles come from being able to articulate and incorporate a value-filled program mission and vision within the athletic uh, culture that is aligned with the institution's missions, goals, and objectives, as well as the NCAA and the NCAA inclusion's best practices. So I know at my institution, at Waynesburg, I'm always looking at what the mission of the university is and making sure that I am incorporating that mission but then using that mission also to drive the programming and drive what is expected of myself as well as the faculty in the program. Put first things first. Engage in honest dialogue. Ensure significant communication and dialogue. One of the things we know, and uh, President Obama, former President Obama said this when he first went into office, it's really difficult to talk about race or any other aspect of who we are as multiple identities, um, sexual orientation, gender expression. And it's really important, if we are going to navigate the workplace environment, we need to initiate conversations about potential microaggression that individuals um, uh, can process uh, and kind of figure out what their feelings are um, and preparing to cope with future microaggressions. And I would also say engage in honest dialogue with the student-athletes, with coaches, with other administrators, faculty and staff on the campus. But it's important as an athletic administrator to have mentoring um, to be able to engage in what's happening to you and what you're feeling as well. We also have to understand there's four C's to healthy relationships. Um, Communication, and communication is both verbal and nonverbal. And so, again, remember I said 60 to 80% of our communication is nonverbal. What is being communicated nonverbally that could be unintentional and hurtful? And so, we need to have this discussion. Uh, the second C is conflict resolution, having the ability to resolve conflict. Uh, whether we like it or not, we live in a world that's full of conflict. We live in uh, uh United States is full of conflicts. So we are going to have conflict within sports teams, within academic programs, athletic uh, departments, as well as with each other. But to have healthy relationships is really important to communicate to resolve those conflicts. The fourth, uh, I'm sorry, the third C is compassion and empathy. Having compassion and empathy for the other person and the other person's perspective. And being committed to the process of having this conversations to developing healthy relationships. I think the minute that, that commitment is no longer there, that goes back to what I said earlier, having to reevaluate and uh, continually assess what's happening with yourself but also what's happening with the environment um, that you are in. Other strategies include legitimizing student-athletes' discussions and experiences on race. Uh, Willing to accept a different racial reality from students of color. Uh, There's this whole concept, and that could be a whole nother presentation of itself, on racial and cultural identity. And everybody's at a different place in their racial and cultural identity. But it's important to have a willingness to accept a different racial reality and have comfort in addressing race and racism and using a direct approach in managing the discussions. Uh, This whole passive approach is not going to work. It's not going to be healthy for you as the individual or for the individuals around you. So it's really important to have a direct approach in managing the discussions and the experiences. And it can be in a structured environment as well. The next habit is think win-win. As part of this win-win, I think it's really important to identify campus and departmental allies using those allies to educate and collaborate with constituents who work with athletic departments and athletes, uh, developing psychoeducational uh, workshops. Uh, It's important to build partnerships and work together. Again, we're not on an island alone and we are designed to be in relationship. And it's important to establish and nurture relationships with faculty and staff and other departments, academic programs who interact and work with your athletes and the athletic Department. Seek first to understand and be understood. Identify and understand institutional and surrounding community culture, including its histories, values, norms, and expectations. Oftentimes when we are working, we go in to do our job, but in order to do our job effectively, we have to understand the culture and the history. Um, This is this whole idea of multicultural organizational development and community development. We also have to be aware and understand intersectionality identities, which in turn may affect mental health and quality of life. So, if you remember the uh, first uh, uh, iceberg that I showed on diversity, there's aspects of diversity that we can see, but there's aspects of diversity that's below the surface, and those aspects that may below the surface might be driving some of the behavior and the microaggressions that somebody may display or the experiences that is impacting the person's mental health and quality of life. So when we talk about intersectional identities, that could be race, gender, gender expression, religion, spirituality, class, disabilities, age, and so on. Finally, uh, we're coming down to the next last two habits. Uh, Synergize. Uh, We have to make sure that we provide programming for administrators, coaches, staff, student athletes in collaboration with other campus offices. One of the things that I really like about the NCAA is that they have the Ethnic Minority and Women's Enhancement Graduate Scholarship and the NCAA Award for Diversity and and Inclusion. These could be driving forces for some of the programming on campus. Um, I know that many college uh, presidents, campus administrators um, like to be uh, recognized and marketed. So, this could be a way to say, hey, here is this opportunity with the NCAA. How can we incorporate some of the programming on campus? Diversity seminars, uh, workshops for student athletes, hosting the, uh, diversity forums. Um, I really like that bullying Green that just received the award this year uh, for the work that they're doing. Other universities have had um, bullying campaigns, uh, bullying prevention campaigns, changing policies from a systemic perspective. So it's really thinking about at what level can you incorporate this programming, Um, and incorporate student athletes, coaches, and campus allies together, uh, whether it's on uh, the college campus itself, the university campus, as well as within the community. And finally, sharpen the saw. We can't do any of these things, and we can't manage the iceberg, the unconscious, we can't manage um, the stressors that the experiences may cause, if we don't engage in self-care strategies and if somebody's not feeling validated or you're not feeling validated. So it's really important to validate the experiences and feelings including when a microaggression occurs of your diverse student athletes as well as for each of you it's important to have mentors that you can talk to so that you can feel validated. I know there's often three questions that come up when something happens. Did this really just occur should I respond to what just occurred, or how should I respond to this? And so student athletes need to have a sounding board to be able to process those three questions, but we as administrators and faculty, we need to also be able to have a sounding board so that, uh, and mentoring, so that we can feel validated. I will also say that, you know, I mentioned that with those microaggressions, with those unintentional, unconscious, um, behaviors that may happen that can increase stress and physical and mental issues. Um, It's really important to make sure you see your PCP and get a checkup uh, for your physical health, manage high blood pressure or hypertension. Um, uh, We always say when those things start to get in the way of your daily functioning, not being able to sleep, it's important to seek help. I would also say I'm a professional counselor, seek professional counseling to be able to manage what's going on in your life. And then I just, you know, one of the, I saw a statement that was really important that we need to know. Uh, athletic administrators, staff, coaches, faculty, student athletes who look to people of color to be the racial or ethnic experts are viewed as unhelpful because individuals of color are placed in an educational role at the expense of their own growth. So it's really important. Um, I know that I got some feedback from somebody at a university who's on this uh, webinar, who said, what do I do when everybody comes to me as the expert of all black people on campus? And it's really important to engage in the communication and help them to understand that you can't be placed in this teaching educational role at the expense of your own growth. And when that happens, it often reflects the lack of awareness, the knowledge, and understanding uh, of individuals on racial matters. So that, again, is another rationale why there needs to be programming. And so then when we talk about engaging in self-care, make sure that you devote time to renewing yourself physically and mentally, spiritually. Eat well, get uh, rest, relaxation, daily meditation, whatever your beliefs are, spiritually and or religiously, um, music, connection with nature. uh, Make sure you have time to engage in social relationships with your family and friends, get involved in community service. And then I know that sometimes being able to read something that's different from what your job is not always reading uh, about sports but reading something that you like that will help you uh, and enrich you mentally Um, and it will enrich your mind and your life. And so these are the top 10 strategies and the key terms that I wanted to address. I think now we will dialogue and open it up for any questions or uh, comments or concerns that anybody might have.
0: All right, thank you so much, Tanya, for that uh, presentation. Uh, And definitely keep the questions coming uh, by typing in the the dialogue box in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, So you talked a little bit about engaging in honest dialogue. Can you provide tips or tools for responding to microaggressions without sounding like the angry black person or the angry black woman?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think sometimes um, there's different types of interventions and ways that you can have that conversation. It might be where you just direct to say, hey, you know what, I'm wondering if you and I could sit down and talk. I experienced something um, with you that I would like to talk about. Um, You know, whenever I'm doing marriage counseling, I'm always telling the couples, if you start with, you did this, you're backing the person in a corner and they're going to want to come out fighting anyway. So I always kind of use the sandwich approach where the two slices of bread are the positive. Um, and then the meat or the inside of the sandwich is the concern. Um, so you might start off with saying, you know, I'm really glad we have this opportunity to talk. I wonder if it would be okay if I'd share something that I just experienced with you. And so, you know, we can't control other people's perceptions, but all we can do is give the information and it's up to the person to how they respond. And we have to also remember I said we have to start with self-awareness and then increase knowledge and then skills. Skills and techniques is predicated on awareness so having that conversation as difficult as it may be um, is beginning to plant a seed of that person's self-awareness.
0: Alright, thank you. Uh, and you talked about controlling perception so let's maybe move into a question that talks a little bit about that. Uh, black administrators often can get pigeonholed in their jobs. So, could you discuss how ethnic minorities can pursue their dreams and avoid being categorized or pigeonholed by others based on other people's, their own bias or that unknown that we talked about?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I I think that you are absolutely right. Um, people can get pigeonholed. That's why it's really important for all of us to be involved in different activities, whether it is in the community, whether it's in service, and we have to be able to help people see that we have um, multiple skills that can be generalized to a variety of settings. So if we can communicate um, this whole idea of transferable skills and that these skills from one domain can be transferred. And it's really going to come from our own language, too, and how we're communicating and how we're articulating that information. Um, you know, we, we talk about uh, it, it, there's a rule of thumb that says it takes 30 to 40 days uh, for change. So if we are consistently communicating uh, these transferable skills so that one's not getting pigeonholed every day for 30 or 40 days to that same person, that they're gonna start to hear that. And so we have to also make sure that we are mentoring as well as getting mentored to be able to not be pigeonholed into certain uh, uh, positions, whether it's just coaches or whether it is assistant director of athletics and show that we have the skills for those other positions. But again, we need to also find out who those allies are from you know, the system, in the system and be able to help educate those allies as well.
0: That's some great insight. Um, how would you respond to, or how do you respond to the narrative that sports and social justice should be separate? So people shouldn't use the power that they have when they're participating in sport to uh, force change. What are your, what's your response to well,
1: that? I would say, again, that goes back to my uh, first uh, slide, that sports is a microcosm of society. And sports is part of a person's identity. And so by asking that person to leave that aspect of identity when they come into um, the world, um, you, you can't ask that person to just kind of drop that aspect of their identity at the door. Who we are outside of sports doesn't stop at the door and who we are in sports doesn't stop at the door when we go back out into society. And so again, um, you know, we are bringing these deep inherent values and beliefs of who people are outside of sports into sports. And so that might be somebody's podium to be able to engage in that different level of advocacy. So when I talked about earlier those levels of advocacy, we can then assist people based on their identity where they're going to use that advocacy, whether it's in sport or outside of sport. So for my belief and my thought, you you can't separate the two because that's a part of a person's identity.
0: Got it. So earlier you talked about uh, microaggressions, so if we could talk a little bit more about that. Um, you know, part of understanding microaggressions is to understand, you know, just the power that language has. So what would you say to folks who, you know, are just like, it's too much for me to worry about not offending someone or watching my words, because I've always said this. Um, what would be your response to that?
1: Well, first, I would say,
0: well, you know, if you've always said it, then I'd be concerned that
1: you've always been unintentionally harmed or damaged a person. And so, you know, I would talk about this whole idea of golden rule. And if they don't want to change, that's up to them. But, again, all we can do is give the information. It's up to them what they want to do with it. And so, again, we are just really... Thinking about, you know, this person, I only can begin to plant the seeds and have faith that it's going to be nourished, that they're going to increase their self-awareness. Um, but, you know, I, one of my mentors, and I'll just say, say this, uh, she gave me something that I keep in mind for myself, and it's called philosophy of expectations. So there's this expectation regarding your relationship with me. So understand if that's something you're always going to do, that's going to impact the relationship with you that you have with me. So I'm going to have expectations regarding your relationship with me, and I'm going to have expectations regarding my relationship with you. And if we cannot be able to manage these expectations, then that again is going to impact our relationship and developing a healthy relationship. So for me, my expectation of our relationship is to be open and honest, to communicate problems and concerns, um, to be able to provide feedback. And if we're going to have this healthy relationship, that's what I'm going to expect. And if you're not willing to change, that's then going to impact the relationship you have with me.
0: So what would you say to those who are interested in starting the conversation about advocacy, microaggressions, bias, all of that, um, on our campus or within our departments? Uh, what what suggestions would you have for us?
1: Well, I'm all about collaboration. And I really think that in addition to the athletic department, there's other student services departments, as well as academic departments, where individuals want to have those conversations. So the first step is, if you are going to collaborate collaborate with other departments, find out who those departments are. I really like to read the university newspapers because that gives me a sense of what faculty and student services are doing. Additionally, this is a part of student services and student affairs. So maybe contacting the director of student services or the vice president of student affairs and saying, hey, we'd like to be able to have a conversation and include our athletes with other students on campus and other faculty so I think about something that just happened at Carnegie Mellon um, and that same thing happened so it was initiated by the student athletes but it was groups all across campus that came together as well as faculty to start that conversation and you know we know that two people or more are a group so even if it's only two people there you start and then you keep building and offering those opportunities to have those forums
0: Thank you. Well, it looks like we're about uh, at our limit here. So on behalf of MOA and its leadership, thank you so much, Dr. Tanya Tinsley, for taking time with us today to share your expertise. Uh, If you have any questions regarding symposium registration or your MOA membership in general, please don't hesitate to contact either Nathan Anderson or Julie uh, Work in the national office. As a reminder, I hope everyone has a great rest of the day, and we look forward to seeing you all at the MOA Symposium in Orlando in June. Thank you. Have a great week. Thank you.